listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Hi, everybody. We're the new Spums. We're so happy to be joining you this morning from our home. I'm Emily. And this is Hannah. And this is Emily. And I'm James. Uh, scripture today is Micah 6, verses 9 through 16. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness and the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation, and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. This is the word of the Lord. I did not get what I deserved, and I loved it. Uh, I remember I was in grad school in Chicago uh, doing uh, advanced work in direct marketing, and I think maybe it was in the second year of the program. I had a class with about uh, 10 people in it, and it was uh, really based around reading and discussing some marketing uh, case histories, and then the bulk of the grade was going to be a big final project where we came up uh, with our own sort of marketing plan that we were supposed to develop. Uh, but the instructions for that big project were kind of vague, and we would ask the professor, well, what are we supposed to do for this, and how is it structured? And uh, he didn't really help clarify things. He, you know, he just, well, just do your best, and, you know, turn it in, and, and it'll be fine. So the semester goes on, and um, a handful of us got together, and we were comparing notes and realized none of us had really started the project. We didn't know what to do with it, so we just didn't do it. <laughs> And I don't know what we were thinking, like, surely the professor is not going to fail half of the class, right? And he didn't. We actually all passed the class. In fact, we got A's in the class and never did the project. I can't believe that we just sort of got away with it, right? Now, uh, for those of you who were here last week, uh, and you maybe remember the story Joey told about his driving and uh, how fast can I go to save time, this is another example of something not to do. This is a bad example, guys, okay? And what made it really bad is that some of the people in the class did the project and turned it in, and they got the same grade we did. My wife, Amelia, is still mad at me about this. She cannot believe that I got away with not even doing the project and getting as good a grade as anyone. And I kind of agree with her now. But at the time, I was just sort of happy that I got away with it. And some of you hear that story and you can relate to kind of what I thought at the time. Like, hey, if I can get an A without doing the work, why not? And maybe others of you can relate to Amelia. Like, you're angry and sort of outraged at this injustice that I didn't get what I deserved. I think deep down we all really do have this sense of justice, 
that what we do should be reflected in the results that we get, that, that the work should be reflected in the results, right? But really, I'm much less eager to apply justice to myself. There is this part of me that would like to get away with it, even if I want other people to be held to standards. And I thought I had gotten away with something. But is that really true? Did I really get away with it? Well, in this passage that we're looking at today in Micah 6, and you could turn there in your Bibles if you haven't already, or uh, pull them up in your faith app or whatever app you use to read the Bible. God is confronting his people with the truth of what they've been doing wrong, and he tells them there is going to be justice. You're going to suffer for it. But here is the the key idea, and kids, if you're following along in your uh, study guides, you have a page that looks like this. Here's the key idea. God wounds in order to heal. God wounds us to heal us. It hurts to hear hard truth about ourselves, and it hurts to have to suffer the consequences for our wrongs. But God wounds us in order to heal us. And and that's really kind of the theme of this whole book of Micah, isn't it? That God's people are not being honest about what's really going on in their lives. The people don't think they're doing anything wrong. They don't think they have a problem. So God has to stage kind of an intervention, you know, where you, you get right up in someone's face that you love and you have to tell them hard truth that they don't want to hear because you love them. When my mom was in her mid-70s, she suffered a brain aneurysm. And uh, in God's kind providence, uh, she ended up at the hospital with a world-renowned brain surgeon and then through uh, that extensive surgery and a lot of therapy after the fact, She didn't really get back to where she was before, but she made a pretty good recovery. However, she wasn't really able to live on her own anymore. And we thought mom had transitioned pretty well to this care facility where she was living until we got a call from the nurse manager saying, "Uh, can you guys talk to your mom because she's out smoking on her balcony and she's on oxygen. So they asked us to talk to her. And we had kind of an intervention with her. Uh, Mom, you remember how the surgeon said that uh, cigarettes would almost certainly land you back in the hospital and maybe even end your life? Oh, I don't think he said it was that bad. No, it's that serious, Mom. And, And you are on oxygen while you're smoking. You could literally start a fire that will burn down the facility. Oh, that's not gonna happen. Anyway, I don't even know why you're telling me this. Well, because you've been smoking, Mom. Oh, no, that's not right. It's those nurses come in here, and they go on my balcony and let them smoke when they're on their break. And that is when my wife, Amelia, almost lost it. She got in my mom's face and said, have they been smoking in your mouth? Because your breath smells like cigarettes. We loved Mom. But she just couldn't admit what was really happening, that she was endangering herself, that she was endangering other people around her. And, you know, we laugh about it now, but of course it was frustrating and concerning and also a little humbling because I could recognize even in that I have inherited more than my fair share of my mom's stubbornness and my resistance to hearing truth that I don't want to hear. 
but to heal us, God wounds us with truth. God helps us hear painful truth in order to heal us. Look in verse 10 in Micah 6. Can I forget any longer, God says, that the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies. Tongues are deceitful. This is like a courtroom scene, okay, where uh, God is... uh, has heard the evidence, and the prosecutor has presented his case, and the judge is now reviewing everything before he issues a verdict. Look at the kinds of things God talks about. There's this unjust wealth. People are getting rich through evil, through sin, through wickedness. It seems like the only thing they care about is money. That's sort of this category of wickedness is, is saying, You don't care about other people around you as neighbors to love and serve. They are just tools to accomplish your purposes or obstacles to step over or competition to crush. And and there's fraud going on. Merchants, people are cheating their customers, wicked scales and scant measures. You know, it's maybe putting 10% less cereal in the same size box, trying to convince people that it still has the same amount in it. When did we stop getting a half a gallon of ice cream? And and now it's a a quart and three quarters or a quart and a half. It's selling people repairs that they don't really need, over-promising and under-delivering. But that scant measure maybe also suggests things like, uh, you know, getting paid for eight hours of work when I really only gave my boss about four hours of good work. Violence. Violence. Man, look at the news, right? Protests and counter-protests that turn violent. People are literally killing each other in the pursuit of some greater good. Now, the meaning of this word is not just physical violence, so that was part of it, but The broader range means things like injustice and oppression. In other words, the the powerful are rigging the system to advantage themselves and exclude others. The rules don't apply to me. Rules are for little people. I've got mine. Good luck for you. And, And all of this is sort of underlined with deceit and dishonesty. Their tongues are deceitful, and and the people are speaking lies. People do not know who they can trust anymore. Nobody cares about really objective facts and reality. They're just interested in hearing the truth that will advance what they want to accomplish or that agrees with what they already believe. What a way to live. Angry, greedy, violent, selfish, suspicious, vengeful. A world where people can't even agree on truth anymore, on on what's right or wrong, as long as they can get what they want. Sounds a lot like our world. It sounds a lot like the, the system that we live in and often benefit from. Look down in verse 16. You have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. 
Now, what is that about? Uh, Omri and Ahab were two kings in, in the northern kingdom of Israel who actually lived about 150 years before Micah. So, so he's going back to these men who were kind of examples of immorality. Omri was a king who came to power in, in sort of a coup. He was a military leader, not, not the prince, and he established Samaria as this place of false worship. And Ahab, of course, was known for not only continuing that, but expanding it. He went out of his way to kill the prophets of God. He was bloodthirsty and vengeful and encouraged people in Baal worship. And one time there's even a guy whose land he wanted, and so he just accused the man of some crime and had him killed so he could take his property from him. Violent, greedy, hard-hearted, and God's epitaph for them in the Bible is, they did evil in my sight. Now, that is probably not how they would have written their obituaries. But that's what God says about them. And God says, that's what my people have become like. You look just like those wicked, selfish, greedy, violent, dishonest kings in the northern kingdom. And there's almost this tone, maybe you heard it, of kind of exasperation, of, of disbelief. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness that, that you've stored up? Shall I, you really want me to acquit people who are cheating one another? I mean, it's sort of like, after all I've done for you, how I've loved you, how I've cared for you, how I've led you, how I've saved you, how, how I've guided you and blessed you, you still cheat people? You twist the truth? You, you defraud one another? You love money just as much as anyone else. You don't care who you hurt to get it. You don't look much different from anyone else in the world, God says to his people. And because they don't look any different, they're going to be disciplined just like the northern kingdom of Israel was. That's the, the next main movement here. The, the other main thing here is that God wounds us with consequences. God wounds us with the consequences of that kind of rebellious rejection of him. I mean, that, that's part of what God's saying here. Should I, should I acquit people who are dishonest? God would not be just, he would not be righteous or holy if he just said, oh, it's no big deal. Go cheat and lie and steal. As long as you're happy, I'm happy. He wouldn't be merciful even to forgive and restore people who don't care about their sin, don't acknowledge it, and don't care whether they're ignoring God. So look at what God goes on to say in verse 13. Therefore, but because all this is true of you, I will strike you with a grievous blow. I will make you desolate because of your sins. You'll, you'll eat, but not be satisfied. You'll put away, but not preserve. And what you try to preserve, I'll give to the sword. You will sow, but not reap. Tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. Tread grapes, but not drink wine. One of our uh, former pastors, Bob Blonick, in our passage discussion uh, on this last week said this. I thought it was great. Our injustice brings out God's justice. Injustice brings out justice. God is saying, I'm going to take away everything that you have stored up for yourselves unjustly. 
You know, we say you reap what you sow, right? And, and there's an element of that that's true here. These are the consequences of what they're doing. But in a kind of an ironic way, God is also saying all the work that you put forth, the effort, the ingenuity, the energy, instead of it producing blessing on your work, it's now going to be a curse. It's going to be frustration and emptiness. You're going to eat with no satisfaction. You're going to live in hunger. You're going to store, but none of it will keep. You're going to sow, but not harvest what you planted. You're going to tread olives, but you're not going to get any oil to, to bless you out of it. You're, you're not going to get any wine to gladden your heart out of those grapes that you've grown. Because in the society that God's people have built, nothing is working the way it's supposed to. And so therefore, for them, nothing is going to work the way it's supposed to. You will work yourselves to death, God says, chasing satisfaction, and you will never get it. Sounds a lot like the world we live in. So were they getting away with it? See, because they're not reflecting justice or mercy or humility, they will experience the most severe consequences. Look down again in verse 16. I will make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing, so you will bear the scorn of my people. Some commentators have said that uh, bearing the scorn of my people is an interesting observation of, on God's part, that they call themselves God's people, but they're not living like it. So calling yourselves God's people and walking in Justice and mercy and humility would be a blessing and a joy and an honor, but they're calling themselves God's people and reflecting nothing of what God is like. So that will be scorn and shame and reproach on them. There's a lot of hurt going on here. God's people are hurting themselves, hurting the people around them, bringing shame on his name. And God wounds his people with hard truth and painful consequences. So where's the healing? Well, back in verse 9, uh, look at this. God wounds to lead us to wisdom. God wounds us ultimately to lead us to wisdom. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Micah sort of interjects there. Hear of the rod, or heed the rod, and him who appointed it. Micah introduces this warning, uh, saying this is the voice of Yahweh. This is the Lord's word. So, this is not just Micah's own ideas. This is what God is saying to his people. And, and there's wisdom here in listening to him and paying attention to the warning and the word that he's given to honor and pay attention to him, to, to fear his name means to revere him, to love him, to trust him, to believe that his truth is ultimate truth and that he is worth worship and walking in awe of him. And see, honest, honestly, obviously the contrast here is Omri and Ahab and the people like them are walking in their own wisdom. They're walking in the wisdom of the world or that anyone else has. It, it doesn't take any real intentionality or, or decision necessarily to reject God. It just means I'm going to do what seems right to me. 
I'm going to go after whatever I want, and then I'm going to justify it based on my values. That's Omri, that's Ahab, that's what God's people were doing. And God says, because you're living that way, I'm warning you that the rod, the, the staff of my judgment is going to fall on you. God is sending affliction to his people because they have become fools. That's a fool in the Bible is someone who is morally deficient. Not someone who's not smart, but someone who says, I don't need to pay any attention to God. I've got this all figured out. As long as it makes sense to me and works for me. God's people have despised a kindly discipline from God, and now they're going to experience a harsh discipline. But his purpose is to bring us to our senses, to bring us back to real wisdom, to bring us back to him. Do you hear God's heart in this too? When, when he says, I'm giving you over to ruin and shame, there's heartbreak and love there. God laments his people's rejection and rebellion. It grieves him to do this. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God does not willingly or joyfully harm us. And, and of course, just so we're all clear, not all suffering is a direct result of our sin, right? Sometimes we suffer because of other people's sin. Sometimes we suffer because we live in a broken world. And sometimes we sin and it doesn't look like anything is even happening on the surface. But here God is saying he will let us suffer the consequences of our sinful choices because he loves us and he wants to heal us. So your question for us to ask ourselves is, who is it that I'm listening to? Am I following the wisdom of Omri and Ahab or whoever the leader today is that establishes themselves as, you know, I've got the wisdom, I've got the answers, I've got the solutions? Are we really listening to the Lord? See, Omri and Ahab and, and we can often convince ourselves, like, I know what's right for me, and I, I just want to do what I want to do. Quit telling me about all that other stuff. And maybe there's been consequences in your life because you didn't seek God's will for a business decision that you made or a financial investment or, or getting into a relationship. And now maybe you're in a relationship that's become painful because of selfishness, because of deceit, because of harming one another, and you're in conflict because you just want to do what you want to do, and it's that person's the problem. Look at our society. I mean, are we not suffering because of injustice and violence and deceit? When the world so desperately needs people of humility and honesty and integrity and peace, people who don't spread misinformation, people who don't slant things in order to support the, the party or the person that they want to rally behind. But we're willing to even acknowledge when we're wrong about stuff that we thought we knew because we love the truth. That we could be people who love God and walk humbly with Him, which makes us honest and trustworthy because that's what God is like. That, that's who He is. The people who listen to God's wisdom and follow Him are not violent and vengeful. They're peacemakers. 
who seek justice and want mercy for others. For those of you who call yourselves Christians, and we can look back maybe over all the years that God has been active in our lives, ways that God has saved and delivered and healed and provided and blessed and rescued and turned darkness into light and shown mercy in forgiving us when we've really messed up. Think about all those experiences of God's love and kindness. Is His grace leading us to greater humility and greater dependence on Him? Because, you know, that analogy of discipline, every analogy of God, I think, falls down ultimately. Our, Our parents disciplined us when we were younger, and now, you know, just like a father disciplines his children, except when we're raising kids, we're, we're disciplining them so they'll grow up and become independent and self-sustaining. That's not the way God disciplines us. God's goal in disciplining us is not so that, you know, he can push us out of the nest and say, all right, good luck, go get it. No, Jesus says you have to be like children who know that they're dependent, who know that they're weak, who know that they don't know the best thing for them and put their hand in their parents' hands to walk wherever their parents lead them. God's goal in disciplining us is not to, you know, push us out so that we stand on our own two feet, but so that we grow more and more continually dependent on Him. Where are you growing in obedience, in trust, in relying on God's wisdom? You know, as I get older, uh, it's been frankly, a little humbling to reflect on, uh, man, as I get older, am I getting more crabby, more self-righteous, more hard-hearted? Or is God's grace, the longer that I walk with Him, making me more humble, more joyful, more thankful, more gracious? Is it growing in me a heart that wants to say no to self-seeking and greed and taking advantage and paying evil for evil. You know, I think back to that class in grad school, and, uh, you know, I don't like saying this, but I probably would have been better off to get a bad grade or fail the course. Because I'm not really sure that I learned much from the experience of getting away with it. I, I didn't learn much in the class. I, I didn't grow, I didn't gain a lot out of it, and honestly, I still have some shame and some regret over what I did. Did I get away with it? 30 years later, I still wrestle with what I did in that class. I think about it. People who turned in that project have probably never thought about that class once in the last 30 years. I don't even remember what the course was about, really. I don't remember the syllabus. I don't remember the books we read, but I remember I kind of cheated, and I got a grade I didn't deserve. And the people who did the work have slept well, not even thinking about it. And even though a bad grade might have been better for me, still suffering the consequences of that kind of sin does not ultimately heal us. It doesn't deal with the real problem. It doesn't reconcile us to God. It doesn't change my heart. But it does point us to the one who was made desolate, to the one who suffered the most grievous blow. 
Jesus came to bear the scorn of his people, to die in our place, to pay the penalty that we could not pay. And he rose to give us new life and a new desire and a new ability even to obey God. Not perfectly, but a new desire and a new ability to walk like God's people. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. If God is wounding you, if God is maybe challenging you with hard truth that you don't really like, or maybe you're suffering consequences from choices that you've made, it's in order to heal you. Because the greatest wisdom of all is to turn to the Savior that he has provided, to look to Jesus, to come to him. Because it's only in the safety of Jesus' forgiveness that we can be deeply, profoundly honest with God and ourselves and others about what we have done. Because Jesus has come to pay it all so that there is now no condemnation and there is no shame so that we would be healed. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your sometimes harsh grace and challenging words to us. You wound us because you love us and you want to heal us. Oh, Father, heal us. Whether we have walked with you for 30 years or maybe there are people hearing my voice who have never come to surrender their lives to you, would today be the day that we would say, God, I want what you want. I give you my sin. I take Christ's forgiveness. I belong to you. Help me. Help me to, to be your child who would reflect what you are like. To love justice. To love the truth about myself. To love mercy. and To walk humbly with you. Oh God, may that be true. Give us the joy of knowing that promise and that work in our lives that you wound us to heal us thank you for the healing that we have in christ it's in his name we pray